co-host Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. Welcome to our episode on John Scalzi's An Old Man's War. Peter, how'd you like this book? This is your first time reading it, right? Yes, I have somehow missed this one. <laughs> Despite your deep and abiding love for John Scalzi. Truly very abiding and deep. <laughs> <laughs> How was your experience of reading it for the first time? You finished pretty uh, early, so I'm going to go with well. Yeah, I, I crushed this. <laughs> uh, I was actually very surprised when you didn't crush it. Yeah. I was I was a little alarmed. I was like, wow, maybe she didn't like it. I stopped commuting. <laughs> I was like, do I have to talk to Cece? Stop talking to Cece now if she doesn't like this? It's going to be really tough. I didn't have a commute anymore. <laughs> yeah, me happened. neither. Yeah, I that, guess that's true. But, like, I feel like you do more math, and I feel if my job involved more math, I could listen to audiobooks and math at the same time. <laughs> I definitely but don't right do now, more math. Okay, like programming and stuff. That okay, stuff I yes. feel like is, is easier to do while listening to books, whereas my job is a lot of writing right now, and I can't really write and listen to books. That's not a skill I have. Ridiculous. I know. Absurd. I, uh, I once tried to listen to and read a book at the same time. How'd it go? Uh, I don't... I consumed both <laughs> books. And so I like remember... eating popcorn while you're watching TV. I definitely remember some minor details. Like, I remember <laughs> some details from both of them. Okay. But I, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> It sounds really stressful, to be honest. I'm, like, fairly ADD, so... (laughs) It's there. Yeah, I had the advantage, like, the basically the only advantage that people can have. (laughs) And, uh... No. (laughs) It's not... It's not... It didn't go well. So, I would suggest (laughs) it. Um, but anyway. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I do do more programming and more kind of, like, less writing. I do document reading. You don't do word work, usually, I think. Mm, I'll give you that, yeah. Or at least you don't do only word work, which is basically all I'm doing right now. You know what it really was? I crushed it when I was in Florida for four days, or three days, for work. I can see that. A, I listened to on the flight, although the flight was only, you know, two hours. Right. Um, No air traffic? (laughs) (laughs) None. (laughs) No people traffic either. (laughs) <laughs> and so I yeah, I did that and then I also walked uh, to or I worked in a very loud room all day so I just like put in earplugs or put in earbuds and then put over ear uh, head like head or ear protection on and then that's what I did all day I so would it take stuff. you like a day to read this book because it's not a long book <laughs> Um, I didn't, I wasn't listening to it all day, every day, because there was a, we ran into some technical issues when no one on the site from our company knew how to do what I went down there to do, including me. Oh, no. So I had to teach myself on the fly. (laughs) And you can't do that and listen to an audio. I I can't teach myself in a communication medium that I'm completely unfamiliar with (laughs) and run in and run into issues with said medium uh, and listen to an audio (laughs) book. While also being taken on a flight of fancy by one of your favorite sci-fi authors. Yeah, so it took about a day and a half before I could really start digging my teeth into it, and then I was basically out flying out of there. So, but I did finish it before I left. So, gotcha. Yeah, no, that's helpful. I um, I mostly just dragged my feet because a, like I said, no commute. B, can't really listen to it while I work. But also C, I feel like most of the time I'm just super distracted by this whole pandemic thing because 
that's like kind of my bag but also it's like very all-consuming in a way that the news has never been all-consuming to me before so yeah i'm usually either really into looking at stuff about that and all the beautifully organized public health data just like shout back to our jurassic park episode where i was like oh there's so many graphs that's how i feel right (laughs) now in life like, You're really enjoying it. This is no, I'm not enjoying. Okay, okay. You are appreciating. <laughs> this is a terrible thing, but I'm enjoying the silver linings. You are appreciating the uh, the spotlight role that your ilk are playing. Yeah, that my like weird, basically hobby at this point, scientific niche, is, <laughs> is getting spotlighted. Millie's asking me for recommendations of like pandemic related books. <laughs> I'm like, this is great. Like, finally. <laughs> I'm loving it. Um, but anyway, all that aside, uh, so I was either consuming COVID content or distracting myself from COVID when it got too much. So it wasn't a big reading book, uh, reading month for me, but I got there. I read it. It was great. It was also my second time reading it. So I wasn't necessarily propelled by the story in the same way that one is when it's the first time they're reading a book. That's true. I read this book last summer. It was a really good summer read. Yeah, it does seem like it would be an excellent, like, kind of quirky, pretty, some funny parts, some also, like, what parts? Yeah. And, like, you know, and overall, not difficult to read. Yeah, I was going to say, Scalzi's, like, a really accessible author. Like, he somehow manages to keep the sort of language and tone light while discussing some pretty big topics. Right. It's one of the things I really like about his writing style. Yeah, he's, um, he, I feel like there's a, a connotation that when books are, like, easy to read and kind of, you know, fun to go through, um, they yeah, are... they don't have in, substance. Yeah, they're not of substance. They are more simplistic. Right. But Scalzi really throws his books in the face of that stereotype. I think so, too. I mean, he, his books are truly excellent. And doesn't pull the punches on, you know, greater issues in the world. I totally agree. And, like, obviously we love the Collapsing Empire series. Big fans of that over here. Or the, the Interdependency series, I guess is what it's called. Um, but I think that this book does that actually a lot a lot more so than the Interdependency. The Interdependency is like a, sort of like more of a political drama, I think. I feel like this one is more philosophical. It's Because it, it's way more toned down. It's, like, about this one guy's journey through the pretty terrible like set of experiences and like how he copes with them and how he thinks about them and how like he and his friends process. Yeah. Yes. So I guess it's, I guess it has like room to be more philosophical. I think it's just set up better for that. Although I will not, yeah, I think the interdependency has its, it's philosophy. Oh, it does. It's definitely worth discussing. That's why we keep coming back to it and probably will again soon because the third book's coming out soon. Oh, I can't wait. Very excited. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, yes, okay. I, I didn't mean to imply that you didn't think that was also of substance. I wonder <laughs> if that has something to do with the fact that the old man's war was written, you know, ten years before the interdependency. Like in Scalzi's development as a writer. I don't know, that maybe so. I feel like he's he's pretty prolific, isn't he? I feel like he's got a couple other series out there. He's got four major series. Wow, okay, and we've read one and a, and a third. 
uh, yeah, it's Old Man's War, Android's Dream, Lock In, and The Interdependency. Oh man, Lock In sounds like a nightmare. I don't know anything about that book, but it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> if it's what it sounds like. I mean, probably. I probably. Um, but it's probably very good. I would assume it's very good. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'd have to read more of his body of work to really oh my god his development as an author. What? It's a it's <laughs> about that, it a disease that makes people. It's actually weirdly topical. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Hey guys, quick sidebar. Uh, the plot summary is: the world is exposed to a highly contagious virus. What? <laughs> Most who get sick experience nothing worse than flu-like symptoms. Oh my god. <laughs> For 1%, the virus causes the victim to be fully awake, but unable to move or respond to stimulus. Yikes. And, yeah. Apparently, um, they get robots they can control. That's kind of awesome. And... They're... What? They're, these people that have this are referred to Hayden's as Hayden's because it becomes Hayden's syndrome. Gotcha. Um, anyway, well, this sounds, is interesting. You know, I would almost drop my pick and choose that one instead, but I think it might be a little scary to read right now. So maybe not. yeah, maybe we'll come back to it in like a few months. <laughs> maybe that might be a little triggering for some people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll come back there. Yeah, we'll come back to it because it, it we is. We'll circle back to it because I'm sure it's very good. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I've decided I'm going to read all of Scalzi eventually. Yes, he, is, he has earned his place in my uh, in my library permanently. He is one of the only authors that I'm like, I would read anything Scalzi wrote right now. I might not like everything, but like at this point, if he is like, hey, I'm announcing this new series, I would be like, well, I guess I'm reading it. Right, it's like, you don't need to know what it's about, you'll just buy it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will read it. I trust it. you to take me on a good journey, Scalzi. Yes, exactly. Unless he was like, this is my foray into, you know, uh... Whatever, some, something random and not, you know, very scalzy. What? <laughs> I think he has a. He has nonfiction. I thought there and lost it. He's got nonfiction. I was well, I was gonna say non like this was unless it was like nonfiction or something something totally not scalzy. But no, he's like a bunch of nonfiction books too. Does he really? Yeah, he wrote like has like ten nonfiction books here. Okay, wait. Look, that sounds awesome. I'm gonna look into that later. But. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk uh, about the book, though? The book that we did read? I guess if you want. We can keep talking about books we haven't read, though. <laughs> that's that's also an option. But let's talk about the book we did read first. For a change. Cool. We have a hard enough time keeping these episodes normal length as it is, and it's been 11 minutes, so... It's what happens when we're cooped up for too long. We just want to talk about whatever. <laughs> no. We're a little uh, out of focus. It's fine. We're doing our best here. Um... <laughs> So you were a fan, because you did go and buy the rest of his series after that. Yes. Without having uh, read even the next one, right? Uh, no, I have not. I have to start it. I have to start soon. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's what I'll thought, do tomorrow. I, I think it's really good. Like, it's, it's a weird combination of grim and hopeful. It's like a very, it's a very grim view of the universe. Where did um, you get the hopeful? Where did I get the hopeful? <laughs> Because, like, it's sort of the, the, I mean, first of all, a lot of good stuff happens to John. Like, he's very lucky. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I guess also smart. Um, but I guess the hopeful part for me is that, like, human connection prevails and, like, remains something worth fighting for. And that there is sort of an after to look forward to. 
that that's okay. like, it, it ends on a hopeful note, I guess. It's not hopeful Yeah, that's throughout. true. I would, I would not characterize it as hopeful throughout. It's actually pretty despairing through a lot of it. But, I mean, there's not a lot of moments where it really gets to Perry, though. He's pretty, um, he's pretty chipper guy, I would say. Yeah, although it does, you know, a major part of the story is when it does get to him. Yeah, you mean with the little, the little guys? Yeah, when they're stomping on Kavandu. Oh, God, it's, that's a very affecting scene. <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah. It's just like I can't imagine doing that and just like having. I mean, he he went through this whole experience. He's like, I don't I don't even like feel anything about this, and that's what's making me feel so many things. I I just I can't imagine being in that headspace. Right. I mean, that's a level of you know fear that you're losing who you were, and I imagine that's something that the soldiers of the CDF are particularly sensitive to, since like the idea of losing who you were is the beginning of your enlistment. Yeah. And it's also kind of ironic because I feel like losing losing a sense of self is something that happens to a lot of uh, people in their late 70s and 80s. But not for the reasons that happen in this book. It's inevitable. Yeah. You got some sort of it's not dementia, it's trauma, but you were got, you got got either way. I mean, that's I guess that's uh there's a sense of inevitability to that. I know. Which is fairly depressing. Thanks, Cease. <laughs> Sorry. No, we'll try to get to the hopeful again. <laughs> we'll get back to that. <laughs> so what about this concept of um, taking 75-year-olds, like hitting reset on their aging? It's it's really a interesting idea. It is. Like, what a... What an idea. <laughs> and I'd like to imagine one day this couple of CDF leadership members are sitting there and they're like, hey, we need more recruits. We don't have enough. Okay. Well, the colonies don't have enough people. Where are we going to get them? Well, we have to recruit from Earth. All right, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. There's a lot of people there. Okay. Uh, who do we recruit? And then one asshole stands up and is like, let's recruit 75-year-olds exclusively. <laughs> I've got the answer. Yeah, he was, he was fucking right. He was right. I mean, I think that there, the the reason is a couple... There's a couple things to kind of support this idea of it. A, you have people that are more comfortable... Probably more comfortable with the idea of leaving everything behind. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean... Well, I think a lot of times at that age, you've already been left behind by a lot of the people you love. Right. And... I think and a lot, a a lot people. of people at that age, I know it's something we've definitely seen with our grandfather, is um, a sense of not being useful anymore. Yeah, and determined to kind of stay busy and do productive things. Yeah, like, I, so it's funny because I look at this and I'm like, who would do this? Who would volunteer for this? And I do, I do appreciate that at some point in the book, like pretty early on, Perry addresses that. He's like... You might think that getting old isn't so bad, but you've never gotten old. That's <laughs> and true. And have to think about getting older. Like, you've never actually been through this, so you'd be amazed how appealing it suddenly looks once you start actually aging for real. I mean, um, and that's fair. At the end of the day, neither of our bodies have dec- decayed at all. Yeah. But I definitely, I definitely look at a grandfather and I'm like, that is a guy who would definitely do this. Uh, he would do this in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. 
Um, and I'm sure there are many, many people who have, you know, grandparents like him or, or older people in their lives who are, like, angry that they're not able to do as much as they used to, are not happy when their relatives are trying to limit them for their own well-being, and are just, like, rearing to have the same kind of adventures they have when they're young. I think it's a pretty natural course for people to take. Yeah, now you have these recruits who... You know, all the disadvantages of them before, um, potential issues with, like, brain uh, problems coming up, strokes, things like that, uh, obviously decrepit bodies, right. are now gone, and then you have someone who has a lifetime of emotional experience and, you know, actual practical experience, but as they're very quick to point out, that doesn't matter in this universe. Right. But as far as themselves are concerned, they are very emotionally developed. Whereas I think that if they were recruiting, you know, 18 year olds, you might not see that because you have someone who is convinced utterly of their knowledge of the world and their, you know, <laughs> uh, that they, they understand what's going on and they have a certain idea of how the world works. Right. And then they are thrust into this universe where everything they know is completely false. I think that they would break a lot earlier than some of these old folks. That's probably true. And I think that one of the really compelling reasons why they would want old people is because, um, you know, they have that, that speech where they're like, Hey, yeah, isn't this great? Also like 70% of you are going to die in the next 10 years, but you would have anyway. <laughs> so there's kind of this sense of like, well, at least I won't have to die of like decrepitude. I will have, a chance to go out in a blaze of glory fighting for something, A. And B, like, I've lived a life, you know, most of them, I mean, it sounds like, at least for Perry, it wasn't a fear of death, it was a fear of, of aging. And that experience of decay, that made him do this, to begin with. Um, yeah. And so, so I think that if you're in that position where you're like, I just don't want to, like, keep getting weaker and feel worse and worse every day, and just like wonder what thing is going to kill me, whether it's somebody sneezing at the grocery store or like a massive stroke. Like I don't want to go through that anymore. Um, I can, I can see why you'd be like, okay, fine. Like maybe I do die in the next seven years, but I'm going to die epically and I'm going to die quickly probably. And I get this chance to feel young again before I do. So I think that that's, that would be a much harder sell for young people who haven't gotten to live a life. Like, how are you going to send a bunch of 20-year-olds off with those kinds of odds? Yeah, and I mean, and if you win, if you beat the odds, if you're that part of that, you know, 25%, you have a chance to have a second life. Yeah. In a much f more fulfilling universe. Yeah, I do feel bad for Susan, though. Who was like, oh, I just want to see the universe. <laughs> like, well, you do. You do see the universe. It's not nice, mostly. Not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's like one ally that the humans have in this universe. One ally who comes up. There's gotta be other allies. Does there? I got I the mean impression that there were other allies, but that that ally was brought up in particular because it was so ugly. I don't know. I got the impression that, first of all, the humans are very belligerent in this universe. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like you gotta be. Or at least they, they certainly feel that way. Right, so that's, I mean, that's an, a common 
question, a common a common dilemma for leaders on Earth in you know a, a place where we've been fighting wars here as long as there's been people, and mm-hmm. you know you think we'd have a better understanding of each other and how what the nature of war is, mm-hmm. and there's still this perception of if I don't strike the other guy will. That's um, definitely true. It's like the never-ending prisoner's dilemma is this universe. Yes. Yes. Actually. So, you know, there is one time where... As far, I mean, it seems completely plausible to me that there is one time in this in Scalzi's universe here that he said humans and someone else chose cooperate as opposed to betray. Yeah. I mean, hopefully there's more than one example of that. Uh, maybe we'll find out when we read additional books, but... Um, let's let's be clear. That example only exists because they like the ocean and we like the land. <laughs> That's true. Like it's just because we don't have competing interests. Right. We don't. We it like the same. It doesn't seem that bio. like sharing is an option so much. Right. Like, and everyone's like, the, "Well, I have to expand expand as fast as possible, or someone else is going to beat me there." Right. Like the whole Kovandu thing. Is that that's the right word, right? Um. They. About the babies? Huh. Talking about the little baby humans? Little baby humans, yeah. Um, those poor little guys, like, we were infected by a virus on that planet. It was rendered inha- uninhabitable to humans. They moved in, and then once we figured out that, like, we had a vaccine and we could go back, we just, like, mercilessly took them all down. Like, I, I, I it's not, it's not clear whether attempts at diplomacy or, like, trying to figure out a a way to share the space with me, but it doesn't seem like it based on the attitude of the people in the military. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, throughout the whole thing, it's it's definitely implied that there isn't an attempt. From what we're seeing of leaders, they're definitely a, we have to strike now, we have to take the, like, if we try to negotiate, they'll just get warning. I mean, yeah. They definitely and, see everyone as enemies. And they're enemies I understand. Oh, for sure. Like the ones like who the, like to eat us. Like the array, yeah. They eat humans, and they when they invaded Coral, they brought a celebrity <laughs> chef along. <laughs> it's so gross. It's such a funny comment. Like, it's really funny that Scott's included that. That's what I'm saying. It's so grim, but it's so light at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic, classic Scalzi. The neck bones are particularly prized for soups and consommes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> such a good line. <laughs> I usually I usually have a good time with cannibal stuff or like people being eaten, but that was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean I think I don't know. I think I was more like, uh, yeah, it's disgusting, but uh, I mean there's <laughs> other species, I guess. Yeah, although I did I did feel like it was kind of unrealistic that that many species would be metabolically compatible with humans. I mean there was just the one, wasn't there? Like the array. Were no, like, there were also those delicious. like deer looking guys. There were at least three three different cases of aliens eating humans that were discussed. There were the array. There were the deer-looking guys who were compared to the like scary lobster men. Oh yeah. Um, uh, who had like the the farm, and then there was whatever uh, whatever killed the guys, uh, corporal in that like body cam video that they were shown right when they got to basic. Oh, yeah, like the slug things. Yeah, it came up and, like, took that guy's body apart. Butchered him and, like, ate him, I guess. Implied. Seems implied. Yeah. Or maybe outright stated. Yeah, I know. I felt so bad. (laughs) This this book, it really shocks you with that stuff, I feel like. You're just sort of, you're floating along, and then they'll just smack you in the face with something like that, and you're like, oh, God, how horrifying. It's kind of like watching uh, Starship Troopers. 
<laughs> yeah. I've actually I haven't seen that entire film. But that movie part parts of it that I have seen, yes, I agree. It's just like, oh no, giant bug. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were all having fun, but I guess I was wrong. Yeah, so you know. Uh, definitely uh, brutalistic throughout, and you're right, just because it kind of gets spattered in. It was like, alright, and then, um, half of Perry is gone. Yeah. His oh, jaw so got nice. knocked off. And I was like, uh, and it's like one of those things where he, he meant, there's like a line where it's like, his jaw, you know, he kicked himself in the jaw, and his jaw went flying, and then, like, that's just it. And it's not like him agonizing about the loss of his jaw for a while. It's like, just gets brought up and gone. And then later he's like, hey, I have a jaw again. <laughs> Feels good to chew. Yeah. So he's it's chewing. like, it's a very, I don't know. It's very lighthearted in the way it deals with brutality. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that sort of signifies what the attitude has to be out in the colonial space because it seems like there is a lot of casual brutality out there and you just you just can't get bogged down by it you gotta go recolonize that planet where your cousin got eaten because you know it's still a great planet yeah i mean and it's really it i don't know it's it's just like <laughs> these stories where like they're talking about this world where this universe where it's like things are bad all the time yeah everyone's always killing each other and, like, how can a colony even think of, feel a little bit secure knowing that all this shit is going on? Yeah, I know, seriously. Like, imagine it's just being a because... colonist. What'd you say? Imagine just being a colonist. Yeah, no, like, I regularly, know. regularly, colonies are getting kicked down and everyone's being eaten. Well, I like how specifically with Coral, they were like, it was discussed to name it Eden, but then we decided that that was just inviting trouble. But trouble still came. <laughs> Wait, it was discussed what? They discussed naming Coral Eden because it was so perfect for humanity. Oh. And everyone was living like a really simple life there. And it was beautiful. It's like a hippie commune. Right. And um, they were like, nah, that's just begging for trouble if we name it Eden. Yeah. And they still got it. So. And they still got trouble. They were not able to escape it by uh, avoiding irony. Yeah, um, so it's... um. It's funny, too, because in the beginning uh, with Leon, the racist drug character... Uh, he's like, oh, like, they get to go out and explore the universe, and like, blah, 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 but it's like, it's so shitty out there, bud. It doesn't seem good, frankly. I mean, yeah. Like, the whole universe seems pretty bad. And I mean, granted, we get the military perspective, so you could argue we're only seeing, like, the trouble planets. Like, theoretically, there are secure strongholds. In well, I'm sure living on Phoenix space. is pretty cool. Yeah. But, yeah, like, exactly. if you're not on Phoenix, I would be convinced all the time I was going to die tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you don't take anything for granted, you know? Well, I mean, it's, just, it's no wonder that they were trying to, like, shuffle people off the planet as fast as possible all the time. Like, there so many people are dying. Yeah, you gotta keep repopulating these planets, baby. Yeah, it's like, well, hey, um, listen, there's already some, some buildings here. It's like, oh, yeah, this whole planet got killed like a month ago but you're here now to repollinate and don't worry here you get to take the joneses house cool are the troops staying oh n no Nah, they're just here for transition <laughs> <laughs> so like that's tough yeah um, one of the things that i found was very yeah i i'm, I'm gonna go with plot holy <laughs> was like Excellent okay word. 
so the skip drive, right? Yeah. It was developed on Earth. Yeah. Someone had to develop it and retains this technology. Yes. The only way to go anywhere is the CDF, or the colonial government. Well, because of the quarantine laws. Okay, sure. But my point is that, like, all there's all these countries, like the U.S., say, who are like, don't like that the CDF and the colonial government has... Like, first of all, does the colonial government control Earth? Like, does the Earth government report to the colonial government? Because I don't think so. No, I kind of think that they're just sort of separate entities. Yeah, I think they're completely separate. It's not even like the UN. It's like the expanse, like Earth and Mars. Yeah, except if the Earth didn't colonize anywhere else and Mars just colonized everywhere. Yes. Yes. It's like the Earth and Mars, except Earth controls nowhere and Mars controls everywhere else. It's not totally unfair though, because it's like yeah, we get like we get like the mother planet here, and I mean, assuming that we can salvage Earth and make it not a disaster, which seems implied to have happened in this series. That's true. Um, that, that is one happy thing. Um, yeah. See, that's also hopeful. <laughs> we got some points. Right. So okay, but fine. But the there's definitely first of all, it's never been a matter of like that seems fair. All right, we're talking about world governments. There's way more ego involved in that. <laughs> than it being fair. Yeah. This is true. So, like, you take a government like the U.S. or, like, England or, like, the combination of the two, they definitely have the resources to build a skip drive. For sure. I cannot believe that the technology that was developed on Earth was then eradicated from Earth by the CDF successfully. So, um, like... yeah. To some extent, they must be enforcing this quarantine law with warships. That's a good point. I'm not sure. I I think that the idea is that, um, like, the this plague thing that happened on Earth convinced Earth to to like pass the quarantine laws. Like, this was not a matter of the CDF demands this. It was a matter of like the Earth, uh, the Earth felt that it needed to do that to keep itself like clean and pure, whatever. Right, but let's think. Though, like, honestly, I don't understand why the quarantine laws have to include news. Yeah, I don't get that. Like, uh, knowledge about the outer planets. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, physical interaction, sure, I, I guess, after a, after a play. Yeah, like, I can, see why, I can see why once you leave Earth for a colony, you're not allowed back. But I do not understand why you aren't allowed to, like, have information passed back. Yeah, because even the whole, like, CDS argument about they want humanity to evolve for their environments... Like, that whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't make any sense either. Because having information does not change your evolutionary path. Yeah, no, that's that's not how it works. Having entire generations leave a place changes paths. Like, we're like, yeah, knowledge does not affect shit. True. True and accurate. <laughs> I guess maybe they do it because they don't want Earth to be like, well, we've got to get in this fight. And then start building skip warships. Uh, which part? Well, the whole core. Like, I, I think the information thing might be caused by like, if they can get the the information thing passed. I don't know why the Earth would you know pass that because they'll say it wasn't enforced and it was you know backroom suggested that Earth pass the quarantine laws. Okay, but like I don't see them picking information like being like yeah and block all information. We don't want don't want to know what's going on out there because. 
you know, that's not very, like, that's not very realistic. But also, yeah, let's, because it, it, but I see why the information had to be, like, the information clause had to be there, and the CDF probably made sure of it, because if Earth knew that there was, like, an active war going on with, you know, al- the alien menace, they would probably start building skip warships. Well, yeah, because this is something I was wondering about after the second read. I'm like, why haven't any of these aliens attacked Earth yet? And I'm wondering if that's what some of the sequels are about. Or if it's, um, like, kind of like Halo, protect, like, the, the protection of the knowledge of where Earth is is of paramount importance to the CDF. That, yeah, I mean, that might be so. Like, there is no higher secret than the location of Earth. Um, yeah, that might be so. But, I mean, they're, they're constantly having ships of colonists go out and ships of recruits go out. So, I don't know. Like, how well could you keep that secret? But, but as far as they knew until the events of this book, it was impossible to have Trace any information skips. about a skip ship before it arrives. Now, That's a good we, point. we still don't know if that means they can tell where they went. As far as we know, they can only detect incoming because of the tachyons and such. Right. But, um... Right. Yeah, that could be. You're right. That could be the events of these next books, yeah, or it could never come up, and Earth could just be literally not mentioned once for the rest of the series. This is true. This is true. These are both options. <laughs> um, on the topic of Earth and like just leaving it behind, did you find it strange when at the end Perry's like, "Yeah, you know, you can you can go farm, like have children." <laughs> like Perry, you had a kid. I find it so weird that he just left his kid. And his grandkid is like new grandkid. Yeah, that's just and that's not like that's very different from the way our family operates. So I find it very hard to imagine operating that way. I mean, I think to psychologically survive this whole experience, you have to completely separate your new life from your old life. Yeah, and I mean, you know, let's be realistic. The the legally is not the only way that people die when they leave Earth, right? Like. They've been yes. You know, when you're that age, when you're seventy five, you've probably probably been preparing yourself emotionally, and your loved ones have probably been preparing themselves emotionally for you to die, right? Um, or for you to sign up because to, well, right. You know, everyone knew that. Yes, in this universe where you can just there's an alternative. Yeah. Right. So everyone, you're you're talking about a universe where good point. The options are not just die; they are leave forever. And I think people have probably become much more accepting of that as right. a culture. For most That's people. That's probably true. You know, and the people... This, this is so dystopian sounding. Like, when you turn 75, you leave the world above. Like, <laughs> That's very not great. It sounds like they kill them. It really... Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, so it's no longer for you. <laughs> I spent a lot of this time, like, as, like, in the lead-up before the whole, like... Conclude, you know, where the four was like, wow, a new body and go fight the war. Yeah. Going like, I wonder if they just kill them. <laughs> <laughs> and some sort of like effort to keep humanity's resources focused. So they take all the elderly and they just kill them. Oh my god, what if? <laughs> and I was thinking, I'm like, and then what? A bunch of old people fight back. And it literally is an old man's war. That is a little old man's war. That's <laughs> such a great fan. I, was like, I love it. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Mostly because that's grim as hell. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> but interesting thought. We'll, see, we'll roll with that. I mean, we've all read The Giver, right? Yeah, no, great. Exactly. 
That was very much Giver-inspired. I know. Thanks, Lois Lowry. So, you know, I was like, no, Scalzi's better than that. Scalzi won't do that to me. <laughs> I don't know, it's still pretty fucked up. They basically do just kill the, the old people. That, I mean, they do kill their bodies, that's true. Yeah, no, they definitely, they do literally kill them. And it's interesting because if, like, if John and Jane go on and have children... They will not genetically be the sibling of John's son back on Earth. Well, partial. I mean, their their current DNA is based on their DNA. Yeah, but it's not the same as their DNA. It's okay. not like actually their DNA. Although it seems like they would get a new unmodified body if they left the uh, service. Yes, they wouldn't be able to keep their Defender class or whatever they are. Yeah, but it seems like, I don't know. Like it's do you, does this? Do you think that the colonists have modified bodies? Oh yeah. Or are they just they're just all normal. I think they're available. I doubt a lot of first gen. The rich colonists, colonists do. But like, I bet like second gen colonists. Because um, first of all, I bet there's options for like parents to have uh, their children genetically modified like before birth. That's probably true to make is, to make them like more acclimated to the environment and stuff. Yeah, to get you know if they live on like a gravity heavy planet, like encourage thicker bone growth, things like that. Mm, yeah. I'm sure there's genetic modification rampant in the colonies. No doubt. Mostly because I'm sure humanity is like, well, if a planet's close enough, we're still going to colonize there. And I'd rather, you know, and as a parent, I, if I was, like, struggling breathing my whole life because the air was thin, I would give my kid bigger lungs. Yeah, if I had the resources sense. available to me. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. But also, I mean, I feel like, I don't know how, obviously, like, you know, this is not real. And I can't, like, look, I have, there's no basis for this. But <laughs> I don't know how much their genes are actually modified. So, like... You, know, you obviously mean the defender to, class. Well, yeah, obviously like the to a high humans. extent. Like they yeah, do all the skin stuff and give like the skin, you know, ability to uh, photosynthesize and all that shit. Right. But I imagine it was a lot of replacing like endogenous genes, like endogenous retrovirus genes and things like that that are latent and don't actually get expressed in human genome with genes that do new things and right, like so promoters I, to make them get expressed i wonder if because we have had, a, we have a lot of junk dna well yeah um i'm aware enough of thing of the dna of like how dna works and how what parts are placed into that okay <laughs> yeah thank i'm no embarrassment cc i mean i'm a genetic engineer but if i was i guess that's probably what i'd do i'd be like get rid of the junk add some funk <laughs> <laughs> green skin you got it Cat eyes, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. For uh, military efficiency, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got gray blood now. Fuck it. <laughs> you like a horseshoe crab, but cooler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want tail? No, no, no tail? Okay. Oh, okay, sorry. I guess that doesn't have that much military consequence. Fine. <laughs> Take my ideas to the black market. Where I'm wanted. <laughs> and that's how he becomes a yellow, a purple carver. Exactly. I keep thinking about Red Rising. Once we like got into the the genetic engineering part of it, I'm like, yeah, Red Rising. Yeah, he's a gold. <laughs> I um. But I, I wonder how. Like, I wonder if the difference between you know whatever they're because I'm sure their new bodies will be modified to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um. I wonder what. If the genetic difference between, like, if they had kids, uh, because, I mean, she's not Jane, but she's, her DNA is Jane's. Or Kathy. Yeah. She is Jane. She's not Kathy. Oh, uh, that's right. Her DNA is Kathy. She is, but she is Jane. Um. Right. But I wonder what the, 
if the genetic difference between their children and uh, Kathy and John's children like would be that much different than siblings, like regular siblings. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe like half siblings. Yeah, I wonder like what threshold it would meet. Yeah. I also don't, I don't know, know if we have the we ability... Have, again, no frame of reference for this. Right, like, exactly. No one's out there doing this, as far as we know. <laughs> one day I turn 65 and someone approaches my door and they're like, we have an offer. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Can you see ever doing this? It depends. Like, I know we're young. We haven't aged, as John pointed out. I... It, if my, like, immediate and semi-dependent on me loved ones were either... We're dead, basically. You know, like, uh, wife passed before I did. You know, I, I could see doing it. Yeah. If for nothing, no other reason than more so, uh, what was her name? The one that was like, I just want to see the universe. Susan. Susan. Like, for more of a Susan standpoint. Oh, wait, Jesse. I think that was Jesse. Jesse. I don't remember. Right. Okay. Jesse was a little Texan girl. Um,. But, like, just to be able to, like, see the universe. Because I've said this before, but, like, one of my sad... The, the, the things that occasionally makes me very sad <laughs> is that, you know, we read all these fantastic stories of obviously fiction, but, like, something's out there. Or yeah. even just the universe itself. Even if we are alone, the universe itself has no end of adventure awaiting it. And... Yeah. And all we get is speculation. Yeah, and we're just sitting here guessing. <laughs> yeah. And realistically, our lifetime, we'll be lucky if in our lifetime, space travel is semi-regular. Yeah, like within the solar system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, within, not even, not interstellar travel. Regular intersolar travel. Yeah. If, like, we had a colony on Mars, and it's not, you know, ridiculous to go to Mars and come back. Because as of right now, if we, like. That that would be pretty amazing if that happened in our lifetime. Yeah, if we colonize Mars, it's a one-way trip. Right. So, you know, I don't think it's impossible for it to uh, happen in our lifetime, but I think it's damned unlikely. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So, um, it's very disappointing to me as someone who has tried to, tried to imagine myself in so many different sci-fi universes. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I feel like our best bet would be like a Mass Effect scenario. Where it's like, oh, cool, an artifact. Oh, all I, of a sudden we can travel interstellar now. I think about that to us. a lot. <laughs> like, I really hope like, that happens. This is my best shot. <laughs> this is my best shot at seeing the universe. Like, <laughs> even if I can't go because I'm too old at the time, I want. I, it would be incredible to live to see like my children go and yeah. come back. Or just get photos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, yeah, real pictures that aren't like an artist's interpretation of... Yeah, 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 an artist rendering of this other planet. Man, when you were a kid, were you so disappointed in finding out that those were artist renderings? <laughs> I mean, obviously, duh. It was the worst. You're like, wait, I thought that was the, what it actually looked like. No? Somebody drew this? This is bullshit. <laughs> I hate NASA. No, but science-based, <laughs> yeah, fuck you and your science. <laughs> this is not what I hoped for. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, so, now that we're sad, let's talk about brain pals. Oh, yeah. How do you <laughs> feel about the brain pal? I, I mean, I, I kind of like it. <laughs> it does seem like a good version of what humanity, for some reason, is hurtling towards anyway. <laughs> you mean like a sense of, like, inter- integrated robotic companion? Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not, 
I'm like a bit of a, a skeptic about like having Alexa, Google Assistant, and like blah, 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 blah. I'm one of those people who disables microphone access on my phone. <laughs> like I just, it's all, it's all just like for advertising, you know? Like I'm not worried about it being anything malicious, but like, I just don't, I don't like, I, I, I find it strange how eager humanity is to just like hand over half of its functioning to computers. Well, it's because we're all inherently lazy. We're all so lazy. And, like, Peter, I am among the laziest. <laughs> I, I consider myself a proud, lazy member of the species. I, I will not sell myself short on that front. But, like, I just, I find it, I just, I find it very strange. I don't know. I mean, I think, like, why does everyone want to do this so badly? Like, AI, like, every, like, half of the world is saying, mm, I don't know, maybe we should be careful, guys. And everyone else is like, I'm going to make AI that makes other AI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, calm down. <laughs> Let's think about this for a minute. I mean, so I, on one hand, I am definitely one of those who are like, we can't assume, like, it's ridiculous to assume that just because it's AI means it'll want to kill us. Yes. No, I agree with that. It, more likely it would decide we're not worth its time. Right. <laughs> It's like I got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And, you know, the to the best way to get any sort of AI that's actually, like, useful is certainly AI programs other AIs. I guess. I mean, there is... I'll take your word for it. You're more savvy at this stuff than I am. And we're getting to the point where humans don't understand what these AI programmers are doing. That's what I'm saying. Like, if we can't follow what's going on, that just doesn't seem positive for us. So, I mean, yeah, I, I in general, what's I agree What's the point of doing it if we can't learn anything from it anyway? And, well, because the idea is that at the end of the day, if we get a usable product, who cares? I cares. I mean, yes, you cares. But let's think about, <laughs> like, most people who either A, don't stay informed on this, or B, are making money off of it. Yeah. Or like, C, want to be known as the guy who did it. Right, exactly. Or gal. Or gal. Or gal. It's 2020. Um, Hashtag feminism. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in, in a very sad but real way, women are so, like, have such a disadvantage in, in job opportunities like that, that the ones that really make it are truly exceptional. Yeah. Because they have to be. That's true. It's becoming less true, fortunately, but, like, it's definitely still a thing. Yeah, I think that's so all I care to say. So it's uh, you know, it's yeah. very, it's very likely it'll be a woman. Yes, <laughs> they got to be like the best. Yeah, if they've got to be the best to succeed in the field, then they're probably gonna do something interesting. So maybe they will be the ones who break through. Yeah, and kill them here. Yeah, it's like I don't have, I I agree with you. Like I don't think that AI is gonna necessarily be the doom of humanity. I just think that. Like with gene editing, like, caution should be used. People should slow it down and not just be, like, racing to be the breakthrough. Yeah. Mm. And that's what I really like about the brain pal. Because my issue... <laughs> Back to the book. Primarily with, you know, uh, these Alexas and Google Assistants and um, the dreaded Bixby is oh, that... God. No, Bixby can't do shit. I, I got a notification about Bixby. about Bixby today. It was like, Bixby Carr would like to, like, you know... Uh, what? Change your notification structure when you're in the when we sent you in the vehicle, and I was like, "Oh hell no!" Fix me what now? I was like, "I thought I killed you before." <laughs> back you're to haunt back. me again, you incompetent. <laughs> yeah, when it defaulted, like every time you got an update, to, if you swipe left too far, Bixby opens. <laughs> no, you bastard! 
God damn it. Die. <laughs> Why is that button even there? <laughs> yeah, the stupid pixel. It took up like two phones to have a feature to change the function of that damn button. <laughs> oh, God, I hate Bixby. Anyway. <laughs> but what I like about the Brain Pal is, sure, it's networked. But it seems like the lion's share of its computing power is completely Internal. local. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, we are just... It makes just... it less vulnerable to attack, right? What? Which makes it less vulnerable to attack, right? It makes it less vulnerable to attack. It gives you greater control over data. Part of the reason why I'm, I have an ongoing intention and slash some work done towards this end of, like, doing my own security system with my own cameras is that there's a lot of cheap services like Waze, which uh, you and I both use. Wise. It, I've heard it both ways. I know. I know it's wise, <laughs> but I've heard it both ways, and I hate myself for not being able to keep one or the other. Waze is a different app. I literally alternate names, because like <laughs> I've, I hear it both ways all the time, and I'm like, well, I don't know anymore. <laughs> but Waze is something else. I know, okay? Okay, okay. All right, never mind. We won't talk about it They're spelled the same, though. What? They're spelled the same. No, they're not. I'm pretty sure they are. No, they're not. I use both apps. Is Waze W-A-Z-E? Yes. Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Why do you use Waze anymore? <laughs> it's just Google it's Google Maps. I know, but I still find it more accurate. Okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> so the whole... Uh, so I just recently did the uh, Google Assistants start working offline. Because oh, okay. a lot of the processing power and voice recognition was offloaded <laughs> to uh, a server somewhere. Mm. To the, the great cloud. <laughs> the Thunderhead. By the way, the more, yeah, I was to say, the more and more, like, this becomes a thing. And, like, I mean, I work, my entire job is data center work. And, like, so I know how fast one particular company is building data centers and that i'm just like extrapolating that out to other companies i'm like so yeah. many so much computing power is being added to cloud resources now like it's all like i'm more and more convinced that the thunderhead will exist soon <laughs> the thunderhead's a nice benign ai at least according to the first book in that series so uh yeah which i never finished so i might be wrong you really haven't <laughs> finished that i just enjoy it uh, I think it was just a, I found it a little juvenile for what I was looking for at the time. Fair enough. Sometimes I'm just not in the mood for that. Okay, fair. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, now more and more things are becoming local, or, like, I, uh, intend to, you know, have my own security system that is running on software that I have control over, and I am installing the hardware, and I'm not offloading, and I store all the videos locally. Eventually, I'm gonna store all the videos locally on a server that doesn't have access to the internet. Like, there's a lot of things... Uh, you can do to still remain connected but under your own control. And I see yeah. the Brain Pal as a continuation of that to an extreme. Okay. Yeah, I see you. Cool. Honestly, though, this conversation is making me wonder what CDF forces would do if, like, somebody EMP'd them. Uh, I'm... I. EMPs have been around, like, at this point, for a long time. Their technology must be EMP-hardened. You would think so. It's got to be. Also, Is that possible? Yes. Is that a thing that people will do? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, good. You can protect it from if, that, if that's something we've already got figured out, then I guess that's <laughs> that's something that they will have figured out. Yeah, it's, like, that. not easy, but... Um, right. But they can travel interstellar, so... Yeah, exactly. Transfer consciousness between bodies. Yeah. So I'm going to guess they've got it figured out. Yeah, like, we do it, but we don't do it... Like, Cece, um, Independence Day. Yes. That striker that, like, wandered into within range, like, nearby a, de- a nuclear detonation... Uh-huh. That was the MP... That must have been the MP Hardened. Oh. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, especially because they had a live feed until detonation and they were waiting for it to come back. Normally, the only way to... The way normal things protect from EMP is to just turn everything off. But... Yeah. Okay. They didn't, they didn't do that, so it must have been EMP Hardened. So... I got you. I got you. So, the point is, they figured it out. Okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't worry about that question, then. Solved. Uh. <laughs> but it's a good point. If technology, you know, if someone took figure out a way to, well, even let's say hack brain pals and make brain pals not private anymore. Right. Because so much of uh, the CDF, and specifically the Ghost Brigade, runs off of brain pal communication to be both more efficient and silent. Right. So. I mean, it, brain pal communication is detectable. It just seems like it's not unha- hackable. Sure. Or so they hope. Yeah, um, if it's hackable, then there's going to be pretty big issues. Because A, yes. you know, obviously we don't know what the security is like, but in theory that could give someone direct access to, you know, your brain. And not, maybe not even hear thoughts you send, but hear your thoughts. Uh, yeah, because it sounds like when you are in battle, you just sort of open it up. Like, you don't deliberately communicate, you just are open. That's yeah. why they kept, like, hearing people dying and stuff. I mean, I guess it's possible that those people would transmit it, like, subconsciously, but... Well, sure, but let's say about the brain pal can uh, hear thoughts. Like, you can control the brain pal with just your thought. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Like, that means that they like you can they can hear what you're thinking. And, right. You know, so obviously they can the interpret C- your brain waves as, like, intent. Yeah, the CDF is effed if the brain pals become compromised. Right. Or the also, rifles. They're, uh, yeah, I would say the rifles are... Which are networked with the, brain pals. With, the, uh, with the yeah. brain pals, yeah. So even just getting to the brain pal and getting the brain pal to, like, kill itself in an effort to protect its host will remove the weapons from play and kill everyone, get everyone killed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, presumably, <laughs> seemingly, I feel like we're, we're basically just, like, spouting out weaknesses that Scalzi could, could use in future books and we don't even know if he has or not. <laughs> I hope in the next book he's like, they hacked brain pals. <laughs> and found Earth. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, we didn't read it first, we swear. And it turns out they forgot to EMP harden everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean I think that yes, that that would be that would be highly disastrous. But seemingly seemingly they've got it okay. And yeah, I mean I think that like I said at the beginning of this part of the conversation, like I think that the the brain pal seems like a really good version of, like, wearables, I guess, for lack of a better word. I mean, I think it's the final evolution of smart tech. Like yeah. smart tech. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, losing, I'm, like, losing track of the word. But, like, yes, I guess smart tech is, is a good enough way to put it. Just this obsession with, like, wanting everything we do to be monitored. Um, you know, like, Fitbits and all that stuff. And also have, like, an assistant that's going to execute tasks for you and make your life easier and like be a source of knowledge for you and i mean just like imagine what pulling up a photo and like sending it to somebody and it's all stored in your brain and you just like do it with your mind it's crazy 
Yeah, it'd be so much easier than, like, going through all the, like, the random crap I have saved in my photo album. Yeah. Like, oh, I saw a funny meme the other day. Let me go find it. Yeah, you just have to, like, think about that meme and it would pop up. Yeah, and so it's, um... I mean, I don't don't think I would trade that, but that's because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't trust that technology yet because we are not there with that technology yet. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, um, it kind of reminds me of, there was a, a tech thing a while back, which was a... In a surgically implanted Bluetooth earpiece. Why? You want to know how they charged it? Chewing. No. So much worse. Oh, no. Before you went to bed, you'd put on a pair of headphones. Attached to one of the ear cups of the headphones was a long spike. (gasps) And you would plug it in that way. Ugh. So it'd be like literally in, like inside your ear canal? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I hate it. Would you yeah. sleep like that? Yes. Oh my god. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so no, much. No, thank you. Yeah. I, you, guys, you guys experiment your little hearts out, but... I even don't Ooh. like people that are like doing the home hacking shit and putting RFID chips under their skin. Yeah, Why? <laughs> like if you told me that like if like there were, if the world went cashless or something, yeah. and by a medical professional with a thoroughly tested and FDA approved device, I could have a credit card that was in, like in the palm of my hand, but I couldn't I couldn't see it I couldn't feel it. Okay, I'd do that. Yeah, I find that to be much more secure. Like if also to figure out like securing RFID. Like, it's more secure than you carry around your phone with all your credit card information on because it's not networked. And, like, there's re- I'm totally on Truth. board with it in theory if applied correctly. I don't yeah, understand people that. that are like, I want an RFID chip in my skin now so I can unlock I'm my, do it to me. my home program door. I'm like, oh, hell no. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah, no. I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> those people, those people, you know probably probably good because they're driving that sort of stuff you know they're like demanding it and we'll move humanity forward but like i i cannot fathom it's not for me to do any of that yeah Yeah. i i am not one of them (laughs) i respect them for what they're doing and i appreciate their efforts because i think before we die we will be in the cashless or mostly cashless society where people can carry around the credit cards in their hands I think it would start with IDs, though. It would have to start with IDs or, like, medical information, that sort of a thing. Like, it being implanted? Yeah, like... I mean, yeah, if you could go, the base of everyone's head, a skull, there is a chip. Right. That has their blood type, their medical history, their, you know, X, Y, and Z. All you have to do is roll up to it with, like, a little thumbs, like, a little hand scanner, and you've got everything about this person. Okay, yeah. I'm over with I that. I see it starting as, like, a medical bracelet thing. Like, I have, you know diabetes and like could go into a diabetic coma and i want like people to understand that's what happened right away hell i have alzheimer's scan it yeah or yeah like i have alzheimer's like here's all the information about like where i need to go back to and everything like if i wander away yeah and that already exists to an extent but like the lead to technology i think you're right is where it's gonna start yeah like it's one thing to carry around a medical card 
it's another thing to have a bracelet that is universally recognizable as you know a medical bracelet for people that have special conditions that right. can be easily scanned by some sort of like readily available technology and open source standard that you know every cop in the in, and medical professional in the world has or in the country has. Right. Right. I mean, hell, if it's RFID, you could scan with your phone. Like there's an app. Yeah. Yeah. And so if there's like. I mean, a spot, like, a standardized spot, say, on, like, on the back of your neck, and, and it's marked with, like, a like a subtle tattoo or something. I can see that happening, for sure. Yeah. Probably within our lifetime, I would say. I think it's realistic. I think eventually when I lose it, I'm going to have a little tag. <laughs> when uh, the CDF does not give you the opportunity to enlist. Those bastards. Those bastards. Uh, <laughs> this is not how I expected this conversation to go. Ah, it's fun, though. <laughs> Uh, I guess body mod is relevant to an extent. But. I mean, this is the extreme of body mod. It's, yeah. you know, these these assholes walking around trying to, like, order mail-order CRISPR kits Ugh, is, the, is the preempt to the Defender class body. Yeah, like, that's true. Like, do you want better blood? Here's smart blood, TM. TM. I know. I love, like, in the print version of the book, it, it always, like, capitalizes it. Yeah, like, welcome to your <laughs> new body. I know, it's so good. Yeah, you can hear the capitalization in the audiobook, too. Oh, you can. You can. Welcome to Smart Blood. Like, <laughs> okay, let's go. It's very good. Um, Using our proprietary solution. <laughs> and you know what it feels like? It feels what? like uh, a Fallout book, or a Fallout game, or like um, or a Bioshock. Oh, yeah, where it's like ads for things that'll make you stronger. Yeah. Like, it really strong... It very... has a steady vibe of that. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I might just knock my mic over twice to have fun with that in editing. I'm just not going to touch it. It's not my problem. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I'm clumsy and Peter doesn't really care that much. I can't think of a way to e- to fix that easily, so I'm just not going to fix it. No, I just don't again. Why is this happening? Cool, well... Oh, God. Okay, okay. I, I might make Are it Are there any smaller. other final points we want to make before we wrap up? Uh, I wanted to talk about the ghost brigade oh yeah for sure so we didn't talk about that at all <laughs> yeah my theory about the ghost brigade when they're like another one for the ghost brigade i figured there was some sort of like frankenstein technology that uh, let yeah, the cdf bring the people back from the dead but their minds were addled yeah so like they had to be kept in their own because throughout the the book they were like oh yeah they don't get along with other people before we like we knew what they were yeah it's true and so i was like i could see that I feel like they just like revived them somehow, but like they were they had issues, you know, like <laughs> like the mind like saw you know eternity or something and it was like fucked <laughs> up a little bit. Yeah, I can see that theory. Uh, it was not not what happened, but it's not what happened. I really I was pretty confident it was. Um, <laughs> You're like I've got that part figured out. Right. I was wrong about them killing all the old people, but technically not. <laughs> Their bodies did die. <laughs> Kind of they kill themselves, though, you know? Yeah, they just sort of fade out. Do you think anyone refuses? Like, once they see the body? Yeah. Do you think anyone goes, like, well, the idea... So, okay. There is I don't this... know that they can. I mean, I think it would be horrible psychologically and poor, like, even just from an efficiency standpoint, <laughs> for the CDF to go, no, we're forcing this to happen, and you transplant. Like, that's kind of a, an intense thing to have happen to someone forcibly. 
You probably have to get a military jail or something, though. Well, probably. Or you're going to send you back to Earth at that point. Or you just fucking die. Oh, yeah, you definitely don't go back to Earth. Yeah. Um, but then they, you know, what do they lose? They use that body for the Ghost Brigade. That's true. So, like, and obviously, you know, they, they bring out the Ghost Brigade. Like, the ones used for the Ghost Brigade, they bring out a few years earlier because, uh, I mean, Jane was running around. Like, for, like, she was, like, four years old or something. Six. She was six. She was six. So they brought them... They can bring those bodies out after four years, apparently. Yeah. Or five, I guess, if we're assuming the event. The events of the book were about a year before that point. So after five years, they can bring those bodies out and start making them ghosts. But, um... That's true. So, I mean, they don't really lose anything if they don't force you in... If they force you into it, but I'm sure you don't go back to Earth. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, what, what was the book we were, uh talking about was it singularity about um like about the identity like uh, the, the sense of self yes yeah like are you yourself if you if every cell in your body has like changed into something else yeah this is also like a star trek transporter problem yeah like every time they go through the transporter their bodies die away and it's reformed and are you a completely different self yeah um, or like the prestige. Like I think about this. I think about this a fair bit actually too. It uh, comes up a lot, which is weird. I don't feel like anyone like has an answer. I mean, no. I think that I ironically because it was not really that serious of a book. I think Singularity come, came up with the best answer. Which is what when the doctor was talking about continuity of consciousness. Go on. I'm. It was a while ago, so I don't fully remember. Like if from one moment to the next. If, like, your consciousness remains unimpeded, right? Like, um... Yeah. You know, like, like if we go by the example of John swapping bodies, right? He was sitting there. Right. He was closing his eyes. And one, one moment... He remembers he was, being in both at once. Yeah. Like, there's a very clear transfer, not copying, which is the clear distinction. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. And he looks whereas, back... Whereas, like... Yep. Yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say, whereas, like, in the Babaverse, like... There are new consciousnesses created that are copies of the old one, and like they have all the old one's memories, but they're still new. Yeah, and you know, in, in the even in the Bobverse, there's some aspect of that Bob dying, the original Bob dying, and new Bob, you know, waking up. So that's kind of the that's the only weird one. But, I mean, it's very yeah. clearly set out in that book that, yeah, no, he is different to some extent. Um, yeah, this is not the same Bob. He might be the closest Bob, but he is not the exact same as Bob. Yeah, but, I mean, like, how could anybody claim that they're the true Bob, you know? Well, right, exactly. Um, he's just the closest, <laughs> I think, because he a, he's a direct copy of the last moments of original Bob's life. Right. Um, but still, there was a, you know, there's, there's a moment where that copy exists... Uh, and Bob's brain is dying after they thaw it and try to do the copy. So, yeah, I don't that's know. That's true. But as far as this book's so, concerned. So, yeah, I think you're right. The continuity of consciousness makes sense to me. Um, because John had that. It was actually, you're right, it's 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 expressed in the one book and, and in a totally unrelated book kind of executed really well. Right. <laughs> like, it, it seems that, I mean, John the mind is the same. He just also now has brain pal and a new body. <laughs> yes, exactly. So he. But I mean, if you think about how you're influenced by your body, um, 
like hormones and all of that could be totally different in that body. So like, sure it is. You don't know that they haven't upgraded, you know, your sort of aggression responses and downgraded your cortisol responses to like help you stay calm under pressure and things like that. Like he probably has would have new personality traits in a new body. I, but technically, I, the consciousness yeah. did transfer, so he's the same person. So the the sense of self remains, but the the self's response to stimuli has been adjusted artificially. Yeah, but I mean, you could get the same result by taking steroids. Exactly. Yeah, taking antidepressants. Like there are right. We do that now. Exactly. So it's it's really just him constantly being drugged to some extent, except it's probably more balanced. <laughs> it's not just like let's put some drugs in you and see what happens. <laughs> right. Right. Which it's is, not. They don't have to mess with the dosing so much. Yeah, which is surprise a surprising amount of uh, psychiatric care. psychiatric care is like um. It's highly alarming if you think about it. Yeah, it's really disturbing, actually. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get. I can appreciate that. Hey, it's better than nothing. No, yeah, I appreciate that, Definitely. and I appreciate that we don't have. It's not like we're neglecting to use a fully fleshed alternative. We just don't fucking know. <laughs> we apply the scientific method as best we can to witchcraft, but it is still a little bit witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um. <laughs> anyway, though. I but thought, yeah, I thought it, I, I enjoyed the scene where he's like hanging out in the in the mess, and a bunch of ghost brigades kiddos come up to him, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, I'm three. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and I thought it was interesting when he said that Jane had kind of the emotional maturity of a child because she like flung up across the room because she didn't know how to handle her feelings. Yeah, it's interesting the side effects of just like sort of being popped into a existence fully grown like that. That's true. I mean, because... Full of know, knowledge, but not really understanding. Right. Physically, you are an adult. Your knowledge is adult level. Hell, your emotional stability... Like, your your body's hormonal stability is adult-like. Right. But there's yes. still that consciousness aspect. Yeah, you gotta learn an experience. And one, one of the things I, I thought was interesting when I was reading the synopsis of this book was that the Brain Pal's role in the Ghost Brigade is to provide, like, a base-level consciousness for the body to build on over time. Yeah. So the foundation oh. of all the Ghost Brigade members' consciousness is the brain pal. Oh, yeah. That was sort of tossed out there, right? Yeah, it was kind of like... That was very casual. It was another one of those casually said, and then, well, we'll just move right past that. There's some implications here. <laughs> yeah. Especially since the brain pal is not intelligent, it says itself. Right, it just provides a good facsimile. That's so interesting. But the brain pal has an idea of responding to stimulus, so it provides a good le- a subconscious level. And then It's a good little trainer. Yeah. Training wheels. I mean, really, though. So it's it's interesting that the brain pal plays such a different role. And also, as the the, you know, the Ghost Brigade folks point out, they were born with a brain pal. So they yeah. are. That's so much greater a part of their communication. I mean, it's like comparing, you know, we can compare people, like even our older siblings or like our parents and compare their level of, uh, you know, personal integration with their cell phone. Oh, yeah. Like, sure. you know, I use my cell phone for so much. Whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, things as simple as hotspots or, you know, ch- testing a network issue or communicating with everyone over text. Mm-hmm. You know, the thousand apps that keeps me connected to every other human. Right. Uh, but our parent, I mean, our, we were talking about how our dad has fi- like is finally considering caving and joining social media because of this crisis. 
Yeah, because he doesn't get to see any of us. Yeah, exactly. So he's like, well, I guess I have to adapt? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to join one of those social media websites. <laughs> those interpersonal interactions. Do you still make pages? <laughs> Do I have to design my own page? <laughs> Do I have to learn HTML for this? <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to pick a theme song for my MySpace? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Truly desperate times. <laughs> so, I mean, so imagine that, but to like to the umpteenth degree. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, the brain pal makes it easier because like, it reads your brain. So so you you don't really have to try to figure out like, well, I want to do this. And, like I just don't know how to tell it that I want to do this. <laughs> that is true. Like that's a common issue for people who are older and trying to learn technology. Like especially because like most of the time they're not dumb. They just don't yeah. understand how to interact with a digital entity. They don't have that fluency of like, well, you would find that under this menu that like we have because we grew up with it. Yeah, I would go to the start menu and you know search this or go to the you know the control panel and they're like, what? Right. Yeah, even even old computers like because like when computers were new and they were still like in the business world and they're still trying to like actively learn how things are working, you know, compare early computers to now and they're completely different. Oh my god, yeah, for sure. So, it's, uh, I didn't even think about that. The fact that the Brain Pals, you know, um, user-friendly nature is... Oh, yeah. It's the most intuitive interface available. Yeah, I mean, really, though. It's literally, like, intuition-driven. Yeah, they're taking the Brain Pal, and they're pairing it with a bunch of 75-year-olds who have lived their lives one way, and it wasn't <laughs> with a Brain Pal. Right, right. And I would imagine that the Brain Palace programming would adapt to be pretty unique to each individual, too. I bet you're right, yeah. So it's, uh... Huh. There's a lot of great stuff in this book. Yeah, and it, and it's, like, in it's all in the backdrop, you know? Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of obvious stuff. Like, they talk about, you know, interstellar travel and, like, the skip drive and the multiverse theory and all that oh, stuff. Oh, they did talk about the multiverse theory. Yeah. No, there, I, I got a lot of uh, Orson Scott Card vibes from that talk. <laughs> From that whole, like, we're popping out of the universe, we come back, are we even the same people, blah, blah, Yeah, we or, go... No, we are the same people, but is it the same universe? Yeah, we get to go to a unique location because it doesn't matter because all distance is the same when you're outside the universe. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a good book. I feel like we didn't discuss a lot of it, but it's also we're already learning a lot. Yeah, we're, we're an hour and 15 minutes, and, like, I feel like we've discussed so much and so little. I know. I know. We didn't even talk about, like, what, I mean, we kind of talked about what makes you human, but, like, not not really. And I feel like that was the biggest theme of this book. Yeah, like, when do you lose your humanity? Yeah. And I guess the answer is you don't. <laughs> I think the answer is I, you You only lose your humanity when you feel like you've lost, when you say you've lost your humanity. When you give up on your humanity, kind of. Yeah, like, if you're willing to keep acknowledging that part of you, and you're willing to, you know, accept that there are some aspects that maybe you didn't know about before. Like, humans sometimes stomp on basically one-inch-tall humans. Like I find it interesting, though, that after that trauma, John was, like, revived by, um, by, uh, I guess was it Susan's death? When Susan was killed by, like, colonists in a really brutal way. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he's like, oh, turns out humans are monsters, too. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, when you spend all your time fighting alien monsters, like, and that's what a lot, that's the only way you can describe a lot of these aliens. Yeah, for sure. And I can appreciate 
needing to be reminded that you know villainy and cruelty are not uniquely alien traits yeah yeah we've been doing that long before the skip drive so yeah and like i guess it reassures you that beings can be monstrous so you're not necessarily killing just because they're not human like no, yeah, we'll kill humans too if we need to. I mean, yeah, and that's a, <laughs> if they're a problem. And that's an important thing to remember because it's not so much like a racial genocide at that point. Yeah, it's you're fighting when you have to against the monsters you have to. Now there is some argument about whether or not they actually have to. Um, I don't remember his name, but the, the guy was who was an ex senator or something. Bender. Bender, yeah. Bender was saying how the guy was an idiot. The CDA, <laughs> well, yeah, he was an idiot. But he, he, as what's the name pointed out, like he's not wrong. The CDF was used too liberally and too easily. Yeah, it seems like very much so that if there was a problem. They just sent the CDF in. Now, obviously, we're looking at the rank and file, and they might not be privy to like the negotiations of the state. But they almost certainly are not privy to the negotiations of the state. <laughs> right, but if there's one thing that you can't be underestimated, it is the rumor mill abilities of the rank and file. <laughs> and if anything happens, true. eventually it will spread. It's certainly yeah. true. Uh, as far I mean, you can ask our brother. Like it, the rumor mill is strong. Yeah, and I can't imagine that a bunch of old people are not gossiping. Oh my god, you know they are. Oh my god, so much. <laughs> well, that was like the whole thing that um. Oh man, who survives? Harry. Harry. Harry was uh doing at the end of the book was just like being an old gossip, making friends. Getting the getting the tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He um, was able to find out a lot that way. So I feel like we get a little demo in this book of the power of the rumor mill. Yeah, that's true. About finding about the special services. I did find it implausible, like, the amount of rooms that John was let into and allowed to just, like, tell all the commanding officers they were wrong. <laughs> like, he did a lot of being like, well, with all due respect, shouldn't we do it this way? And they're like... You know what, Perry? That's a hell of an idea that they did. I mean, I... Like, I feel like his military career went way too smoothly. Well, that's true. Um, although I think there is an idea... There's an attempt by Scalzi to... Because the CDF, at its core, I don't think is equal, right? If the CDF sure. might be used too often, sure. But that's not necessarily their fault. They might be willing yeah. to too willing to just be like, well, we're going to go to this planet and kill everyone we find. All right, that's problematic, sure. But, right. you know. I mean, it's like the Vietnam War. Like, you don't blame the soldiers for fighting in it, you know? Right. They also and were drafted, too, so that adds another dimension to it. But, I mean, in a similar sense, these people didn't know what they were getting into. So, like, I they mean, are, in, in a way, drafted into doing this because they didn't know how bad the things they would be asked to do were. And also, it's that or death, right? Like, it's either right. do it or you That's will die true. a very slow and probably very unpleasant death. Yes. So it's not technically drafting, but it's got a lot of similar characteristics. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it's either join the military or the alternative is very unpleasant. Right. So it's like, yeah, a lot of immoral things were done in Vietnam and it was an immoral war. But like, there were, the, like the soldiers themselves, especially those who, you know, were trying to make the most of the situation are not like bearing the bulk of that responsibility. Right, so I think Scalzi was trying to imply that the CDF is not an inherently evil force. 
I mean, because really, that is the ideal, right? If Scalzi goes into a room with a bunch of weirdly high brass and gets pulled into situations where it realistically has no business being in. Yeah. Uh, but he's proven that he has a mind for tactics and thinking unconventionally that in ways that benefit the CDF. And he, you know, goes up and says, hey, guys, listen. He doesn't do it. I mean, he doesn't, he's not like, hell, y'all are a bunch of dumbasses. This is what you should do. Sure, sure, right. sure. He doesn't he's, come in all cocky yeah. about it. He doesn't, you know. I would like to suggest this. And yeah. in an ideal world, in an ideal military, you know, where the, the military is supposedly purely a meritocracy, right? That's that's the whole, that's the dream. That right. people excel and progress through skill and capability alone. That's what the military likes to tell itself. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I can understand in one end to go like, look, you're right. You know what? That's a great idea. It's coming from an unconventional source, but that's a good idea. We're going to follow through on that. Sure, that's true most of the time. I guess the main one that bothered me was when they were like, uh, you're not special forces, so we're going to like send you on out of here. And he was like, no, I think I should still fight. And they were like, yeah, all right. I mean, you made the comparison to Vietnam, though. But, like, you know, the, that wouldn't happen in a, a, a very minor war, like you know, a lot of the conflicts in the 21st century, which you know, saw nothing of the scale of the mobilization of forces of Vietnam. Sure. And also the organizational issues. Because think about it, the command and control loop for the CDF sucks. <laughs> I don't know what that refers to. Like, a, a commanding officer on Earth can call any of his base commanders around the world. You know, on minutes notice. And talk with a lag-free comm. Right. But imagine if you're, all of your you know major force deployments are deployed away from like the the military hierarchy that's true because you would have to send a skip drone right yeah exactly you'd have to send some sort of physical vehicle out to them because no interstellar communications exist right so there's a lot more flexibility in some of these rules because they have to the local commanders have to become given a great deal of leniency yeah you would have to have a lot of autonomy also even now in the real world Typically, special forces commanders have a great deal of autonomy. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, they—I mean, they have a—they have the right to make a lot of decisions on their own, within a certain scope. I imagine that in space combat, where you can't talk to people for you know however long because they're a deep behind enemy lines and b the only way to talk to them is to send a ship, then your like your scope only grows and your ability to make on-the-site decisions grows too. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. All right. That's a decent explanation for that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> I accept this. Alrighty. Um, we are quite long. We are super long. But there was a lot to talk about. Yes, definitely. And again, barely scratched the surface. Yeah, I think we're going to make a fairly soon uh, uh, return to the series. Just to try to get an excuse to talk about more of the stuff. Yeah, it's probably a good call. It's good when there's a series if we leave a couple things on the table, I think. That's true, because oftentimes the next books will revisit a lot of the issues. Yeah, we're like, well, we really love this book and want to talk about it, but it's kind of the same as the last book. It's the same book, but there's a different villain, I think. It might be the same one, actually. (laughs) All right. So here's what we're going to do next. I've been sort of playing with the idea of doing this book for a while. I actually started reading it without knowing that it counted as sci-fi. Um, and then slowly was like, is this, is this sci-fi? 
<laughs> but uh, it tells the story of a world beset by unprecedented circumstances and how different people reacted to it. And so I thought it was a pretty relevant story to do at this time. And oh, sure, we can't do locked in. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's relevant, but not too relevant. Um, it is Hank Green's An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. Okay. Have you heard of this book? Do you know anything about it? No, I, I know nothing about it. All right, well, yeah, go in. Try to figure out uh, what, <laughs> if you can spot when it becomes sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Let's play a game. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a departure, I think, but it's it's very, very good. Um, I read it last year, and yeah, I think it's it's got some relevant topics to tackle, so... Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it, and the sequel's coming out this summer, so timing, timing felt right. Alright, level. Alright, everybody, um, well, Peter, why don't you tell them where they can find us? Uh, they can find us at facebook.com forward slash sci-fi sidebar. Uh, they can find us on Twitter at, uh, signothingnet, right? Yes. That right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, right. that's right. Uh, you can email us, and I think it's sci-fi sidebar at signifyingnothingnetwork.com. Yes. Um, you anything? Uh, no, I think that's all of the contacts. So, yeah, let us know if there's something we didn't cover that you really wanted us to cover. If you have any suggestions, any feedback, um, we would love to hear it. You can rate, review, and subscribe on any of your podcatcher apps. Um, and please, if you enjoy our episode, share us with your friends. I'm looking at the calendar right now, Peter, and we have a problem. <laughs> so this episode should come out May 4th. Oh. And, and maybe it will, <laughs> this next episode. But um, uh, my due date is May 5th. So we, we will just have to do our best to record early and hope that we're prepared. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we will do our best. So hopefully May 4th. Yes, hopefully CC finds some more time to listen this time. Yeah, hopefully we both listen to this book pretty quickly. <laughs> All right, but uh, uh, just I don't think it's super long. Be flexible but... with us. Um, you know, we yeah, should. Yeah, but we'll... if we don't re- release on time, it's probably for a happy reason. So. Yes, almost definitely. <laughs> um. All right. Well. Yeah. Anything else, Peter? Uh, no, Cece. That is it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for another very long episode of sci-fi sidebar no you don't apologize you're welcome okay <laughs> you're welcome for distracting you listen what are you doing honestly what are you doing <laughs> what, what have you done all day <laughs> unless you're in a grocery store or like in a medical field thank you if so yes oh my oh my god thank you so much all of you, <laughs> all of you who actually are working like out in the world this is a scary time and we really appreciate you yeah we're very lucky everyone else home. Get in that back- backlog, yo. Read our books. Listen to our podcasts. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you've always wanted to start a podcast, now's the time. Just don't do it in science fiction or we'll find you, I guess. Yep. That's how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> There's only room for one science. We're the only science fiction podcast. We are. Yes. That's right. The only one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Sci-Fi Sidebar from the Signifying Nothing Network. A tale told. Stay safe out there. Bye, guys. Wash your hands. (laughs) Don't breathe near people. (laughs) Six feet.